Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Agile Coaching Mastery Podcast, brought to you by the Agile Coaching Mastery Crew. Our crew consists of Agile coaches from around the world who record the podcast for an international audience free of time zones. You can listen when you want. We do this to help increase the skills, knowledge, and experience across the Agile coaching industry, and it's for free. Every week, we'll be exploring another part of this wonderful Agile coaching landscape, and each episode is recorded live and unscripted on Friday. Let's join the crew for this week's episode. This week's host is Ross. Hello and welcome, everyone. Uh, so, yes, uh, I'm Raz, and I'm your host today, and we are going to talk about uh, a very uh, key fundamental skill of Agile coaching which is facilitation. So out of uh, the first session that which one is recorded that you can hear and listen to at any time and link can be shared after this or you can find it on agileclub.club. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So what we are going to do is going to discuss what is facilitation and who is the facilitator and uh, three main key points uh, out of that and then discuss uh, a little bit further and a deep dive. And you're welcome to ask a question. If you have anything, just uh, raise your hand. Ian and Ricardo just uh, bring you in on the stage and we can have a conversation about what you think, what you, what story you have and uh, what are your thoughts and uh, anything related to, to, the, to the topic of facilitation. So uh, a quick uh, scene, if I want to set the scene. So if you're familiar with the Agile Coaching Competency Framework, which are written by Lisa Atkins almost in 2010. Uh, there is a uh, facilitation as a core skill for agile coaches. Uh, and taking that, uh, also we are using, ag I see agile definition of uh, facilitation, which says facilitation is helping a group identify common objective and offering group processes to achieve those outcomes while maintaining neutrality. And uh, the role of facilitation, facilitator also defined as a neutral process holder who guides a group through processes uh, that help individual teams and organizations to come to a solution and make decisions. So we have these two definitions of uh, agile coaches as a facilitator. And uh, I would like to take three points, three key points out of these two definitions. Uh, the first one is neutrality. And the second one is uh, holding the space and creating a collaborative process. And the third one is uh, facilitating for outcome. And uh, about the first point, which is neutrality, I would like to uh, ask Ian. So Ian, what, what's your view on this? Uh, how, yeah. how agile coaches can develop this skill set? Neutrality is a great question. I mean, it is a great question. And I've so many war stories of like when I've, I've got involved in the detail, having an argument with someone. I remember one last year at a company I worked at where one of the, um, one of the people in the room, I won't call them a team because they weren't really a team. They were sort of a bunch of people who like to argue with each other was particularly being difficult. And I sort of in exasperation sort of started to say, well, what do you want to do? And, you know, and I, I realized afterwards that I had lost my neutrality role. Because I had, uh, you know, essentially told him off for bad behaviour um, at the time. I think there's posts to that. So the point of neutrality is you, you don't have a view on what's being discussed. You want to make sure everyone else's view comes out. So, you know, question uh, things I usually say when I'm doing neutrality mode is like, that's interesting. What do others think? 
Um, yeah. Would others agree with that? Does anyone have an alternative view? And part of the facilitation is to stay neutral, but it's also then to summarise what people have done and said so you can bring them to some kind of shared thing. I mean, I remember um, one of the other guys, Jeffrey, said uh, a team exists to solve a problem, and therefore I always like to summarise what's happened as the problem that they're all agreeing on, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And what I can take from that is being curious, not just always having all the answers and not bringing the personal bias or any sort of judgment to the to the to the, to the session uh, facilitators facilitating. Uh, so, Ricardo, I would like to ask you the question. So, what good looks like here in this uh, neutrality thing in facilitation, from your point of view? Well, it looks good when you're actually empathetic and really try to bring out the solutions in people, and not bring your own solution doesn't matter how tempting it might be. Mm. It's all about really help not only one person, but the whole group bring out the different opinions that they have and make sure you don't color it uh, with your own opinion. Yeah. I remember one when um, I was, we were doing a problem statement and working out and one of them said just to me, Ian, you obviously know what the right answer is. Why don't you just tell us and we can move on. And uh, that's an interesting way of seeing it, really, which is uh, my response there was, well, I, I know what it might be for other companies, but this one is unique. So it's, you guys have got to come up with what you think, because um, I, I can't tell you what will work here. That's what you're you're good at. So that's how I deflected it back to say, you know, you've got to come up with your solution and not be impatient. And, and then the other thing I'd just say, I, I, I love room bounce, which is, you know, I deliberately go. Let's do a room bounce. That means everybody gets to have a minute of what their opinion is, which doesn't half help with dominant characters and people who are quiet. You know, literally everyone. I'm going to do a room bounce. Raz, what do you think? Oh, thank you. Andrew, what do you think? Oh, thank you. Ricardo, what do you think? Oh, thank you. Have we seen something in this that's common? I think we have. That kind of thing, yeah? It's mm -hmm. great. So the people on the stage, Andrew, I can see you on the stage. On the stage, do you, do you have anything to add on this topic? Do you want to share any sort of story? Yeah, I feel like I'm probably overrepresented, Rizal. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to get someone who feels underrepresented in uh, facilitation to come up and have a chat about um, how to create space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're um, if you're in the audience, you want to come up and ask a question or give your opinion, you just put your hand up. Let me explain that if you don't know how to do it. And oh, hi, Will. I've just seen you there as well. Uh, next to the leave quietly button, please don't press that. We don't want you to leave quietly. Is a picture of a hand with a card. It's not like a yellow card for football or anything like that. It just means you want to come up on stage. Once you're on stage, you'll uh, be able to mute or unmute your mic and talk to us, ask questions. And we tend to deal with people in the order they arrive on stage. So if you come up, you might be waiting a few minutes while we look at someone else's uh, questions. That's always true. So uh, we just want to encourage you, um, if you want to come up and talk about facilitation and create an open space, just... Uh, put your card up in the air as it were we'll see that and delightfully we'll be delighted for you to join us on stage the more on stage the better is my opinion um, and as Andrew has just said it's not just about us it's about what everyone thinks so just leave that plug out um, and uh, as soon as you put your hand up Ricardo or I probably me will will invite you on stage to chat do remember though it is recorded on a podcast uh, Agile Coaching Mastery which goes every week you can look us up on any of the podcast platforms under Agile Coaching Mastery and you'll be there so you'll be able to see yourself my only uh, reservation is please don't swear 
um, I have to I have to post edit those out. So that's all. So please come up on stage. We'd love to hear your views. Raz, back to you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. So uh, this is a very uh, good segue to next point: is designing and creating a space uh, for collaboration, which, like what you mentioned, Ian, just uh, uh, giving a space for everyone to collaborate and discuss and share their opinions. If you're facilitating, for example, a retrospective, and there are some silent people in the room, and uh, I'm wondering what are the skills uh, that agile coaches can develop or they require to uh, to give voice or to create such a space and design such a process and hold it and execute it that everyone is heard and all the opinions are captured or gathered to some extent not everyone's opinion if just uh, uh, facilitating a session for 100 people that's not the case right but uh, what are the things what what's the secret sauce here do we have a secret sauce Ricardo, to you. Not the secret sauce, but I found it this year uh, since COVID started and since we started holding remote meetings to be a lot easier to do to reuse facilitations because it could create a facilitation space and to get people that uh, were even too shy to add a sticky to a board since they were doing it remotely. I got a lot more collaboration in my meetings. Are you guys experiencing mm -hmm. the same? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Again, that that's a curiosity, right? So, what's your view, Yen, about this one? Yeah, um, I, I think my how you create open spaces it just depends on the size, doesn't it? So, if you've got like six or seven people in, you know, my view is as facilitators is you need you need lots of tools you can use to get opinions and get people to talk, and so uh, training from the back of the room books. Um, just looking for the actual mm -hmm. title of it. Give me a second. I've usually got it next. Here we go. So Training from the Back of the Room is a great book full of those techniques. That's Sharon L. Bowman's book. Uh, if you saw me or you heard me moving around, it was because I just went to check it, uh, check the title out. That's got loads of stuff that is useful in a non-COVID uh, Zoom world, and I've had to convert a lot of those for use uh, on Zoom calls uh, as well. So that's a great book full of tools that you can bring out and use. Um I think size does matter. So, you know, up to 10 people, probably you've got those room bounce techniques, maybe put a number in the chat. You know, that's one I use a lot, which is uh, on a scale of one to five, how are you feeling? Put a number in the chat, please. And then go, okay, would anyone like to comment on their number? It's a very English way of doing it. I'm sure yours is would go, Ian, why have you put a one in, you scumbag? But, you know, the different people have different ways of doing it, don't they? So that's a... a technique I'd use. Um, if you get into bigger group numbers, uh, facilitation on Zoom or even, you know, in a room, then uh, Liberating Structures has a lot of little um, uh, ways of doing that that's really good, liberatingstructures.com. And the one that everyone loves there is one, two, four, all, which is essentially yeah. you start by asking everyone silently. I, I call it write for five, which is for five minutes, just write down what you think yourself. And then one, two, four, all is next you go into pairs and discuss and synthesize what you both said and that really doesn't work in zooms because breakouts of two can get very fiddly to sort out but in room in physical rooms two is great and then four is you put four people together and do that and you can do that with um you can do that with um uh you know uh zooms as well and then all is everybody and so you sort of build it up like as a pyramid but that's only one of many um tools in that liberatingstructures.com work i think it's, if i remember correctly there's 29 i could have got that wrong uh 
but so my view is as a facilitator what you need it's a bit like if you're a plasterer you know you need to know your tools don't you you need to know your tools and then you look at the situation and say okay in this situation i need to do that one so if you know if people aren't if it's you know really early days for a group you've probably got to do a bit more work on getting them to create an expressive mode um you know with yeah you might start um sometimes i think facilitators you just got to get them in a good mood um Mm -hmm. in nlp techniques there's a a sort of called called modal reference which is um uh i've just done a training course where one of the days everyone was really flat i do ic agile training for the coaching um and one of the really flat so i said let's do a warm-up exercise what's the best holiday you've ever been on and why Mm -hmm. and so we did that and went around the room everybody did it Uh, took a while frankly time i hadn't got on the course but the the room was really low and by the end of it everyone was just really happy because they were remembering some great holidays they'd had in the past so that got the room moving and flowing a bit and then and then we went straight into a right for five um Yeah. yeah Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Ian, because uh, that's a very great uh, uh, technique, one, uh, actually one, two, four, and all, and I use it a lot. And also one thing I would like to mention is sometimes not all the sessions an Agile coach facilitate is ceremonies, and also sometimes they need to uh, facilitate brainstorming sessions, design thinking sessions, and they can use and employ some of those techniques in design thinking like double diamonds or triple diamond or how many diamonds they need to diverge and converge and holding that space. And also, as you mentioned, Ian, inviting people to participate and that requires designing, that requires thinking prior to the session. And I think agile coaches need to spend some time thinking, designing, and really uh, creating some, some sort of run sheet for themselves to uh, go through that uh, run sheet and create such a space for uh uh, for possibility and emergence, and th- they can employ a lot of techniques like double diamonds, like one, two, four, all, uh, and other liberating structure. And I'm wondering what other uh, success stories or tools uh, you're recommending. So, well, can I can I, re- uh, Reza, yeah. can I rewind you just for one second? I mean, I sure. I always imagine it like again my analogy. I always try and use physical analogies. I imagine I'm like a plumber arriving with my toolkit. I'm not quite sure mm-hmm. which tool I'm going to use yet. But I need to have them ready, you know, uh, got them in my box ready to bring out. So assess the situation, mm-hmm. decide what tool. But I, I'm going to admit my ignorance now. The diamond thing I haven't heard of. Do you want to tell me what that is for a minute? Oh, yeah. So it's a it's a design thinking uh, tool. And usually UX and UI people are really getting benefit of that to uh, take the uh, – uh, the, the, actually define the problem statement and – they, they use one diamond to diverge all of the things they know about the situation and then converge to eliminate some of those uh, things that they're irrelevant by affinity mapping, by re- you know, removing reductions. And then they come with this uh, with one or two or three uh, problem statements. They, they define the problem statement and then identify solutions. And again, they go uh, con- uh, diverge and bring as much as solutions they uh, possible solution they think about uh, uh, they think that they can solve the problem statement and then eliminate uh, all of those things that are irrelevant and not uh, in the scope and uh, come up with the final solution so the whole process is diverging converging diverging converging and then in the middle uh, there is a problem statement so they come with hypothesis define a problem statement 
and then come up come out with solutions. So this is a technique that design thinking guys and product people really uh, use and get benefit of. And I think agile coaches can also uh, take that and use it in in their day to day job as a facilitator to design a session uh, for brainstorming and sometimes for. Uh, creating a problem statement and solution for the problem statement according to the uh, definition of facilitation facilitation uh, by ICA Agile. Does it make sense? I think it's a yep. really good idea, Res. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether it would work particularly well in practice because what you need to do in design thinking is to involve the customer. Yeah. A lot of the time, when we, like, I, I love design thinking. It's an awesome approach to looking at product problems. But a lot of the time when we, we're developing sessions for facilitation, we we really don't have the opportunity to empathise with the customer mm-hmm. of said facilitation until such point we get into the room. To yeah. Really focus on creating space and, and making the space great um and making the space designing the space so that there's as little need for synchronous integration as possible Mm. so if 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 we can create a space where people can kind of go all right we need to come together to solve some stuff then we need to go away from each other and solve some stuff, and then we need to come back to each other to solve the contention. Mm-hmm. It's, um, if you can create the space like that, that's how you get great outcomes. It's a bit, it's a bit like one to four all, isn't it? In the sense that you, you where I use the facilitation diamond, and if you look at the liberating structures, a lot of them are on one or the other side of the diamond. Actually, you call it a diamond because you have like a divergence, draws mm-hmm. and then convergence which uh, draws another triangle that converge. When we do kickoffs of new, new initiatives, one thing I do a lot, it's kind of a pattern that everyone that works with me is already used to. I invite some people to give a quick presentation, 10 minutes on what mm. are we doing this and what do we know about how we are doing this. Typically, it could be some kind of business owner, it could be some kind of architect. Yep. Then I ask everyone, did you guys understand this? And everyone says, yeah, yeah, we're ready to go. Okay. Then let's split into X groups, randomize the people, and ask them to draw what they understood. Give them 15 minutes, and then ask them to present to each other. Get some popcorn, lay back, and see the discussion starting. I never saw the same solution starting to be implemented after three rounds of these as the one that was coming in. And this is a liberating structure. You're creating these divergence, and then you're doing the mm. through these iterations. Yeah. Example. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I think Andrew uh, mentioned a very key point here. It just, uh, which is a very good segue to uh, the, the last one, the last point, facilitating for the outcome, and uh, uh, which was uh, Andrew's point was bringing customer in and empathizing with the customer and what they want and understanding what they want. And also it uh, can, to some extent, uh, explain uh, what you're doing uh, uh, in your sessions, Ricardo, just uh, elaborating what uh, what is the intent and sharing and creating shared clarity and uh, 
uh, I think this is a very good uh, facilitation skill to have to set the intent, create shared understanding and uh, clarification on the outcome of the session, and then start facilitating towards that outcome. And in the middle uh, of the sessions, you can always check in with people if they are on the correct uh, pathway toward achieving the outcome. I, I, I think the big danger for all coaches is to try and apply methods that are built around a context and to other contexts, if that makes sense. Yeah, it comes back to the neutrality, right? So you don't force using one tool over yeah. the other one, right? Where, where does design thinking come from? Like, Where, where does... Um, uh, so design thinking comes... And design thinking is is the design process dumbed down to the point where stakeholders will buy into the design. I used to work in design teams back in about 2004, 2005, and the whole – like designers are organic creatures. They're, they're looking for influences. They're trying to find things that no one else will ever understand because they're not designers. They're not spending their whole day on, uh, on on design forums and looking at new cool things or like, they're not David Bowie. They're, 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 they, they are very different people. And, and what we try to do is reduce the process of design to something that uh, – you can sell to someone and that's what design thinking to me is right like design thinking to me is how do i sell the process of design which is in effect an organic process done by super creative people that i could never understand to come to something that is far better than i could ever create myself but how do i how do i create some sort of process that makes the people who pay for the design uh intrigued and interested and committed to what comes out the other side. Like, I, I don't see design thinking as a process of creativity. I see it as a, it's a, as a pro- process of reduction. So I'm really mm. wary when we go into conversations about using design thinking for things that are outside of that context. Mm. Yeah, well, if I think about... Point, yeah. uh, so it comes back to the the fact that we are creating, oh, they, are, they created a kind of linear process for a very creative, uh, imagined, uh, natural process. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I do one of these, everyone asks for the full meeting agenda, but I say we have the meeting agenda until the end of the first iteration. Yeah. And after yeah, the first please. iteration, we'll figure out what is the logical next step to take. And that we, that's what allows us to change because maybe the first time is drawing a picture and maybe the second time is actually getting down and coding something or trying to draw up some diagrams or whatever it is. So it is important that all the, it's in facilitation, it's important to come in with a plan. You should have a plan and you mm-hmm. should know that you probably will need to deviate from that plan and have the tool set like Ian was saying that mm. will allow you to apply different tools at different times. But it's still very good to foresee the normal way that this meeting or this session or this set of sessions could be uh, will go is like this, but then iterate as you go. 
Yeah, I think it's about structures, isn't it? So, for example... And it, Andrew, uh, you wanted to say something? I saw you are just muting and I'm muting. So. No, I was actually just clapping Ricardo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you don't know that, if you tap, so, you mute, unmute yeah. continually. So, uh, so we love to hear from audience. And uh, in the remaining three, four minutes, if anyone has anything to share or any question, you're more than welcome to come on stage just uh, raise your hand uh, ian and ricardo will invite you on the stage we'd love to have you up um i'm going to put one of my tools just down on the table before this brain trust and probably get it shot to pieces uh, which i i call the pot p-o-t and p-o-t stands for purpose outcome and timing so i sort of part of my plan is usually this is what the pot is for a meeting and we have what's called the pop moment at the start of a meeting where we say, oh, we think this is what it is. Um, is everyone okay going forward with this at the moment? Yeah. And then I will say halfway through the meeting, we're going to just reevaluate whether this was the right purpose, outputs and timing. And if it wasn't, you know, we replan at that point. Um, so I wonder what people think of that. Uh, we're going to get a speaker. We're going to get someone on stage shortly. But I just wonder what you think of that. Sounds all right. Okay. Well, we have Aya with us. On saying, Go on. I was totally agreeing with you, but I was on mute. So ah. that reevaluation is what I was calling looping or iterating. It's very important because if you're not learning anything during the meeting, why are you having the meeting at all? Well, that's a good point, isn't it? Um, I should have written that down as a timing thing for the advert. That's a wonderful point, Ricardo. Uh, Razzle, we have Aya who's come up on stage. Yeah. And I, I'm, a new feature seems to be to put the country you're in on, on where you are. So, Aya, that looks like, is that, is that Danish? I don't, I don't know. Hi. The flag? Well, the flag Egyptian. Egyptian. Uh, okay. I'm Egyptian, actually. Um, but now I live in the U.S. I'm not sure how Clubhouse figured Egyptian, but... Um, uh, anyways, thank you so much for uh, holding this conversation. And uh, I think I've been in rooms where I am was there. I know I enjoyed it very much. Um, I'm here to actually ask a question. Um, so I'm in a team that's a bit small, like kind of a four developers team. And uh, our leader, like the Scrum Master, also uh, is leaving the team. And we are in a situation that we're going to go with the flow uh, without a leader or a scrum master. Uh, we, I myself worked in agile environments for like 11 or 12 years. And I'm a person who like love agile in a way. Um, I think my team also have been working in agile environments for a few years too. Uh, my question is, in situation like this, where you kind of like don't have like the facilitator or like, I would say rely on the idea of self-organized team more, how could you move forward? Can I answer that one? Go ahead. Yes. So I think that... Uh, like the, the the whole role, like I don't actually think agile coach is a role. I don't think scrum master is a role. I think it's a responsibility of the team to clearly articulate the things that you need to do and then to make sure there's capacity in the team to make sure that those things happen. So when you're first rolling out agile, you might bring a coach in 
you might bring a consultancy in. But at some point, you need to actually take responsibility for that yourself as a team. And I say that as someone who has a vested interest in consulting as a, as a business model, um, that the best teams take responsibility for working out how do we spread the responsibility for this stuff between the members of the team and how do we rotate it so that it doesn't get boring for everyone. So I, I, what I would do is basically say what are the responsibilities of that role that we've res- relied on the f- person that has left the team for and how do we allocate those out and how do we make sure that that they're not permanently allocated out so they stay interesting for the people in the team. Yeah, I'd add exactly what Andrew said, which is the original story on why Scrum Masters exist. So the first um, scrums at Bell Laboratories, uh, Jeff Sutherland tells a story of this, that actually they worked out they needed this, what you've called responsibilities, Andrew. Uh, Certain things needed to be facilitated. Um, Frankly, it was a high coding team. Nobody wanted to do these things. So they they decided they were going to rotate it around the team every sprint. A different person would do it each sprint uh, deliberately. Uh, and that person was a bit annoyed to have to do this because they really wanted to do the coding, but that's life, you know. We've all got to do a bit of service to the team. And from that idea came servant leaders and the whole thing and mastery of the idea of Scrum and Scrum mastery and all of that came from that. So it, uh, summarising what Andrew and I have just said to you, I, I, uh, I would say, okay, what is it the Scrum Master used to do? Let's all do it in bits. Let's pick things up. So... You know, if you need someone to facilitate a meeting, just say, shall I volunteer to facilitate this one? And Cyril, you can do the next one. Um, if you need someone to um, ensure the um, the boards are kept up to date, I'm, I'm not getting on a hot topic of who owns the board. I'm just saying if if one of the things the Scrum Master did was make sure the boards were tickety-boo, either virtual or digital, maybe someone picks that up for a week. And the whole rotation means everybody gets to do it for a bit, and no one, you know, is cursed with the role uh, or responsibility for too long, and everyone gets better at it, which isn't a bad thing. I think one of the things Jeff noted when he was talking to me about this was some of the uh, rock star coders have the worst people skills he's ever met, and actually rotating these roles out between them was quite useful to help them in their build, you know, of human personality that they they learnt to have to facilitate. And, of course... Uh, you know, I've got that kind of background myself. I'm, I'm Asperger's by background, and therefore the the mode and techniques of learning tools like one, two, three, four, all trees, shift and share, all the ones that are on the liberating structures, they don't come naturally to me. I had to learn them. Uh, so it was a good thing. I think it was a good thing to do that. So summary, uh, it's, it's a good idea that your Scrum Master's leaving. That means everyone in the team can step up and do a bit more of that and develop and become continuous learners. I think I've just summarized what Andrew said, maybe better, I don't know. But that's the same point, I think. I can, re- I can bring a different perspective. So I've worked with an organization where they had been doing Agile for six years, and they didn't have Scrum Masters anymore. Uh, the teams were already doing that. And the key things that we learned there is on the process part, the keeping business running as usual, everything was going perfect. Where it was needed to do a, not a lot of... Uh, intentional work was on the improvement part because no one was looking at the team as a system everyone was looking as an individual it was a lot harder to get improvement so that's one area that i would make sure that you guys double invest in your retrospectives 
to be able to continue improving because keeping the process, the development process running, the boards tidy, the meetings facilitated, that works all right. It's the making sure that you find a way to get better every sprint. Uh, that is hard. That's well, really well said, I think, Ricardo. You know, I, you know, my advice is announce yourself as chief retrospective facilitator. And, you know, that's probably the more interesting side of everything a Scrum Master sometimes picks up. Again, you could argue that the retrospective is not owned by the Scrum Master, it's owned by the team. I agree with that as well. But maybe that's a way to sort of, you know, exploit what you're, what you're interested in. And generally, I'd say in life, if there's a bunch of things you've got to, you know, there's a whole bunch of things, as it were, on the floor ready to be picked up by different people, my general life advice is pick up the interesting one quickly so no one else does. And then you you can claim forever that you don't need to pick anything else up because you've already got one up, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, if you say, I'll, I'll look after the retrospectives, someone else will have to look after everything else. You're sort of in a good position, I think. Did it help you? Yeah, thank you so much for all the answers, actually. It, it really helped. And um, I like the new perspective because um, I'm thinking and, – and please, uh, I mean, I, I'll be honest here uh, – Many times I feel like we're practicing fake agile and uh, I feel like with the absence of the leader, it, it will happen eventually unless like someone would just like speak up for the team and do that. And I feel like I'm the person who mostly do that while the leader was here. Uh, I'm not sure about the position right now and I, I'm not sure if you get me with this point. Uh, oh, yeah. it, I'm so sorry, the word, what, what does fake agile mean? Oh. I have a word for it. Are, are you practicing zombie scrum? Fragile, I guess. Like Fra fragile, yeah. Yeah, fragile, right? Are you are you familiar with this? Yes, concept? yes, 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 okay. yes. Exactly. So, so that's that's what I meant by fake agile. Um, a bit of experience, and what I recommend is uh, starting with metrics. So if you get an organization in that is trying to sell Agile without understanding what Agile is, and you'll see, I've, I've written an article or two about this, but it's basically, um, if you see an organization that comes in and says, we will take headcount out, or we'll take cost out, or we will, um, there's, a, there's a range of symptoms that are pretty obvious then you're probably moving to a point where the the idea of agility in your organization is based on how much cost we can take out rather than what benefits we can get from agility so i've got a few things there's that if, if you focus on flow metrics so the number one thing you can focus on is a lead time get a measure for how long it takes for something that you want to do to get into the hands of the customer. And the second one is what percentage of demand on your change or product or tech teams is uh, failure-related versus being value-related. So if you can just measure those two things, then the, the conversation, shifts away from the esoteric and the I want to make teams fluffy good to the I want to make teams good. Uh, uh, I think what you Thank said you there... Andrew. 
Andrew was brilliant, but you were cutting out a bit as well. Just I ran, had a clear objective on that. Customer lead time was 221 days, and the objective was in one year to bring it down to 75 days. And that helped so much with making every single decision along the way. Knowing what your metric is now, knowing what your target is, and knowing how long you want to take to reach there. Yes, so wonderful. Yeah, I agree uh, with you. So having metrics and measures in place to measure what really matters is very important. And help keep focus on real stuff, not just uh, uh, agile coaching or scrum for sake of scrum or for sake of uh, running sessions and retrospective for sake of retrospectives. So it give flavor and add depth to the practice. And that's it. We're all very, I think as a community, um, the Agile com coaching community is probably biased to the humans in the system, which is really important because the average organization is biased to the metrics in the system. But a really good Agile coach will straddle the two. So they'll straddle the, the space between the, the human aspects and the systems aspects. And if you can do that, that's agile coaching mastery. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you uh, for, for sharing your thought. And uh, I would like to uh, remind us that uh, we are uh, 15 seconds over time, and which is a very good sign, <laughs> is it, Yen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have messaged you saying we need to wrap, you know, so... Actually, oh yeah so 10 minutes and 15 seconds over time yeah ah. oh my bad then i can't count the time but uh, which is which means that we had a very good conversation and very deep conversation on some of the key aspects of uh, agile coaching just facilitation and also discuss what is facilitation means and uh, bring some tools and uh, techniques to the table uh, which agile coaches can use like one two four all uh, techniques and some other techniques from uh, liberating structure. And uh, we had a very good conversation. And I would like to conclude and thanks everyone for uh, being with us today and for those people who are listening to the podcast. And I would like to hand over to Ian for uh, his magic. Okay. Well, I don't know magic. For, I, I really want to thank Aya for coming up and asking a great question. Aya, you are a star. Thank you very much for doing that. Please continue to do that every week um i always think it's a good thing to say what the highlight is i actually loved andrew's final quote about masteries about straddling people and systems as well i thought that was really really fantastic as well so uh yeah thank you for listening raz thank you for chairing and bringing a lovely subject to us i think we're uh, we're we're good to go as they say so here comes a strange man with the you know bye byes that's it for this week You've been listening to the Agile Coaching Mastery Podcast, brought to you by the Agile Coaching Mastery crew. If you want to join the live recording or give us feedback, reach out to us on agileclub.club and look for the Agile Coaching Mastery conversation. Or find us on Clubhouse, look for Agile Club. Join us next week for more fun and free thinking.